Crime, the Society of the Black Nations. Next, we will investigate chemistry and see how it is related to physics and astronomy. But for now, let us sidetrack for a moment from root science so we may hear a story. There is a story from our ancestors about their world before the non-Black races. Yes, Black people, there was a time when we were the only people on Earth. Those are the times in which the events of this story took place. Not just any story, but his story. True history. To understand true history, we first have to know the most fundamental of all fundamental things. This is what our ancestors say. In the beginning and end of every universe. Now remember, creation has no beginning or end, but universes have a beginning and end because every universe is created for a purpose. When that purpose is fulfilled, creation continues to create the next universe. So they say at the beginning and end of every universe, there is only one person. How many black people are there on earth today? Over a billion? A billion separate individual minds means we are divided. In the beginning, we are told there is no division. Now, this doesn't mean that there is only one human being on earth. There are just as many individuals as there are today, but we are united as one in mind. This means every person knows every other person as he knows himself. More than that, every person is every other person. That is divine unity. The reason for mentioning this is because the story we are about to tell is about the organization of the ancient society which started from unity. It goes that long, long ago, when the first earth had been completed, at the beginning of this universe, God came as one from the previous universe. That universe had just reached the completion of its purpose, and a new universe, ours, was just beginning. God then divided his mind from unity, or one to two. From two, he divided again and became three. From three, he became seven, and from seven, he became 12 gods. Another day, we'll hear as to why he went this long route instead of going directly from one to 12. But 12 is the crucial number because it has to do with how the original society was organized. You probably guessed it. The 12 gods represent the 12 tribes of the original nation. The only 12 tribes we hear about today are the Jews. Where did they get that from? They certainly did not originate it. They got it from the originators of true civilization, our ancestors. Each one of the 12 gods, as gods like to do, separated into a man and a woman. They became the 24 original kings and queens of our nation, called the 24 elders. Every two, a man and a woman, became the leaders of a tribe. And as black people like to do, they called them the mother and father of the tribe. The 12 elders decided they needed assistance to help them lead the nation that was soon to come as they planned to have a population of more than 1 billion people. They decided that each God will have 12 assistants. This number 12 is not arbitrary. Our ancestors say that nothing the ancients did was arbitrary. Everything they did was totally natural and simple. Therefore, everything has a logical and simple reason. Anyone who tells you that there are mystical things reserved only for the spiritually evolved is either a deceiver, for example, Whitey, 
or has come under the influence of deceivers, for example, Y.E. Every god, as we said, chose to have 12 assistants. They are called the 144 chiefs. The elders then divided each tribe into six clans and put two chiefs at the head of each one, a man and his wife. Are you surprised that a woman could be a chief? We are taught to believe that women are not the equals of men. After all, didn't they come from our ribs? So a man and a woman became the joint chiefs of each clan. There were 72 clans in the whole nation. Here's a mystery that ceased to be a mystery for me as soon as I learned it. Every black person without exception came about exactly as the 24 elders did. If you remember, I said the 24 elders were originally 12 gods and each god separated into a man and a woman. We are told that this happens with every two black people on earth, brothers and sisters. Before you become a brother or a sister, you were united as one with another. You then separated to be born as a baby, as a boy, and she as a girl. Have you ever wondered about the mystery of soulmates or love at first sight? Peace. Thanks for the information. It's very enlightening. But I do have questions for you. Are there really soulmates? How would they recognize each other? How did the ancestors make the scientific information practical in the daily sense? I mean, how did they use it once they understood its nature? I'm afraid science as we know it, as you alluded, has evolved into nothing much more than a bunch of numerical formulas. Are we going to evolve back into the only race on the planet as we once were? Is this idea in line with the repetition of cycles that you mentioned? How would the ancestors use this information to fully understand their true purpose on this planet? Yes, every black person on earth has a soulmate. Many people do find their soulmates and live a happy and fulfilled life, but many more do not. It's very difficult to find a soulmate by chance. Although it does happen, the instances where people find their soulmates are much more common among tribal or so-called indigenous people than they are among us Western civilized people. The reason for this is quite obvious. Modern culture has been very successful in disrupting tribal cultures. The people in the old days had a definite and clear scientific system of suiting every person with his or her soulmate. The way White people succeeded in disrupting this aspect of our culture, but by teaching young people to be independent of the influence of their elders. When I was growing up, there were still some aspects of soulmate matching still going on among our people, where adults were responsible for matching young people with their soulmates. Young people were taught by the instigators of modern culture, especially white missionaries who lived among our people. They were taught to rebel against having their mate chosen for them by their parents or relatives. Now, you must realize that even at that time, that part of our culture had long been lost. The parents and relatives themselves, most of the time, made serious mistakes in matching young men and women. Sometimes they were motivated by the expectation of material gains and so on. Sometimes they mismatched people so badly that it didn't take much to convince youths that this whole system was corrupt. But as I said, the scientific method was lost over 4,000 years ago. Before the appearance of the non-black races, every person on earth was matched with his or her soulmate by the scientific method. 
and detail the ancient way of finding soulmates in a coming post soon. It's a true science called the science of compliments. Now, my sister, don't despair that we have lost this part of our culture. We've lost most of our culture because this cycle of time was destined to have these very things happening. But thanks to the wisdom of our ancestors who set the cycle in which all things happen in their allotted time, thanks to them, this present cycle is coming to an end. All that was lost will be recovered. In truth, nothing was lost, but just put away until we rid ourselves of the arch deceivers. As to your other questions, to answer them now would be to put the cart before the horse, so to speak. There are other issues that I intend to explain first. By following a definite order in our discussions, we may make it easier for other people who are interested in this to follow and understand it. I ask for your patience. It's also a question of time on my part. There are other personal things to take care of. Otherwise, I would post more often. Having said that, I still welcome all of your questions and comments. They may remind me to include some topics that I would otherwise neglect. Okay, I'll wait anxiously. I hope your explanations include the why of some of what we've gone through. So we were out of order before the non-black races began to dominate. This is what then made us susceptible to fall under their control. Initially, what prompted people to tamper with the system of perfection? Why would we even open that door to begin with? Were these decisions simply acts of free will, or were they guided by universal forces for some unknown higher purpose? Thanks for attempting to answer these very loaded questions. Peace. You ask questions that are very involved. They go to the root of the situation we find ourselves in today. You are right in thinking that free will plays a part in what is happening today, but unknown higher purposes and universal forces are not at all involved. Black people are not and have never been at the mercy of universal forces. You'll see a detailed meaning of this statement and the reasons why, as I promised, as well as explanations to most of your questions, please don't stop asking. But remember this, the truth is in you. You can find it even at this very moment. I appreciate the post. This brings light to the whole notion of arranged marriage. I find that your analysis is quite accurate. If this is the case for soulmates, is polygamy an incorrect practice according to Blackwood science? Or can a person have more than one soulmate? No person has more than one soulmate. God divides from one to two every time he's born on earth, and the two are equal. To have two soulmates, you'd have to be equal to both of them making each one half of you, to put it in a cold mathematical way. But I think you understand my meaning. Now, you'll probably be surprised when I say polygamy is not wrong. To analyze some events, it would help to divide our history into two eras. The one before the non-black races, prior to 6,000 years ago, and the present era, the last 6,000 years. The former era is what is called in the Bible, the days of old when the sons of God walked on the earth. The society was perfect and lived a natural life. That is to say there were no diseases, war, or premature death. Every man died after reaching old age. The second era brought the races along with war, diseases, premature death, and a drastic shortening of our lifespan. 
the last thing we can deal with, but the first war brought untold devastation, not only on the warriors, but also on the women remaining at home. Suddenly, there was a shortage of men. To keep the nation surviving, polygamy became the logical solution. It was the result of both necessity and common sense. As you can imagine, it became a part of the custom. Hence, long after it was no longer necessary, it was still practiced merely as an ancient custom. But there are so many places in Africa today where it's still necessary. You surely have heard of the Hutu and Tutsi wars and other tribal wars that still continue today. Customs are hard to drop once they become ritualized. Another example, you've probably seen photos of how some African tribes mutilate their faces as part of their custom. Have you ever wondered why? It had to do, again, with the non-Black races and their evil slavery. When enslaving Black people, they logically chose the strongest and most beautiful men, women, and children. Economics dictated that they would get the highest prices for the best of our people. To counter this evil, many tribes adopted customs of self-mutilation to make themselves ugly and undesirable. A drastic step, you'll agree. But it worked. Many survived who otherwise would not have. Now, long after the days of slavery, those customs are still practiced because people have forgotten the original reason. When they are reminded, they became adamant and say, we must do it because our ancestors did it. We cannot go against their will. So it is that we still have customs that are no longer justified. Good grief, Black Roots. Your incredible information has brought yet another wealth of questions that I hope you'll be able to answer soon. What is the idea of parthenogenesis all about? I heard that Farhan was actually a member of one of the not lighter races. Is this true? I'm assuming that when you tackle the issue of Yakub, that you'll address how the non-black races arrived and how their emergence is connected with the current patriarchal rule. How will black people repair the genealogical damage to our bloodlines done by the social invasions of the non-black races? Peace, and please keep informing us. It's great. The sense in which I use the word non-black races does not mean the same as light-skinned black people. There are many black people with light skin, as you well know, some so light they could pass for white, yet they are black people. Fard Muhammad is the son of a black man and a white woman. That makes him like many black people in America, and they're not of the light races. The non-black races were made in a very specific way to remove every bit of the dominant dark gene that was in them. They were made in four stages such that the entire period of their making lasted for exactly 666 years. Black people made them by removing the dominant dark gene from themselves. Every black person has two types of reproductive genes, one that is dark and dominant and another that is light and recessive. There is a method of suppressing the dominant gene, thereby allowing the recessive one to become predominant. When this procedure occurs in an uncontrolled or accidental manner, the resulting child is an albino. But a black albino is not the same as a non-black person because albinos still have the dark gene in them. It is simply suppressed at conception. In the case of the non-black races, the dark gene is completely absent. That is the reason non-black people cannot give birth to a black child. 
It takes exactly seven generations to completely read out the dark gene in the first of the four stages. With our present lifespan, seven generations is approximately 200 years. If you take a single generation to be about 28 to 33 years. In other words, an average, on average, a 60-year-old person is a grandparent, being the parent of a 30-year-old, who in turn is the parent of a young child. So on average, a new generation is born every 28 to 33 years. That makes seven generations approximately 200 years. That's exactly how long it took to make the first non-Black race, the people called Hispanics, Latins, and Greeks. The second race, the Arabs, Jews, and other Middle Easterners took about 200 more years to be bred from the first race. After about 200 more years, the third race, the yellow race, was bred out of the second. Altogether, that took 600 years. Then exactly 66 years after that, the first white babies were bred from the yellow race, meaning that the four light races were completed after 666 years. Hence, it is said that the number of these beasts is 666. I'll address the matter of Yahoo much later. Your other questions can wait for a while, right? Okay. My other questions can wait until you get the chance. But I would like to know why anybody light enough to file for white wouldn't be considered a member of the non-black races. I mean, isn't that how it begins? With the deliberate intent to water down the dominant gene and make it unrecognizable? Isn't this why the current black population of the Americas has in general gotten progressively lighter with each generation? Because there's still a deliberate attempt to accomplish goals to that end? Further, if Fard Muhammad was a mixed race, how would he be different in terms of agenda than, say, a Ramsey's? Thanks for your patience, and you can feel free to answer when you're ready. Your question is extremely important. It goes to the very roots of the definition of a Black person. There is a scientific method by which it's known who is Black and who isn't. By scientific, I mean true or ancient science, not modern science. It's not possible to determine the true race of a person using modern biological or genetic methods, except in the most obvious cases. There's only one way that is infallible in this aspect. But before I get to that, let me address your very reasonable question on the motives of a non, of a light-skinned black person, like far compared to those of another light-skinned black man, such as Ramsey. Ramses lived at a time when white people were ascending the scales or steps of power and affluence, and black people were descending. Many mixed-race people, like him, sided with their white ancestry, even though such people are black. I'll describe at the end of this message why it is that a person of half-black, half-white parentage is actually black, even a person of one-fourth black to three-fourth white parentage. I already touched on this yesterday when I mentioned that it takes seven generations to totally remove a black person's dark germ. Now, the mixed race blacks in ancient Egypt sided with white because they thought that's where the brightest future lay in terms of power and affluence. They were not negatively impressed by the corruption and deceitfulness of these people, even when it was clear to their unmixed brethren and fellow citizens. The same phenomenon was prevalent in apartheid South Africa just a decade or two ago. The mixed race blacks called colors, which
in his colors, did not want anything to do with native blacks. Even the darkest of them denied their blackness. The reason was just as simple. Their economic future and their short-sighted view lay in the direction whites were going. And that's who they followed. I'm sure you can think of similar situations in America. Now, Far Muhammad not only had the longest foresight possible, but he also had the hindsight of the true history of blacks and whites. He was raised, taught, and initiated so that he would gain this expanded viewpoint of the nature of reality and not be blinded by the glamour of white civilization. That this is factually true can be seen from his teachings and achievements. He was the catalyst for a sense of pride and self and ancestry that had not been seen in our people for very many centuries. It's unfair from my point of view for people to reject his truth because of the controversies associated with the organization he and Elijah started. As you can see from my perspective, the way a black person is raised and taught determines his or her attitude toward the true nature of both blacks and whites. This is not determined by the shade of his black skin, whether it's on the lighter or darker side. But on the larger question, the way to determine who is a black person is not by looking to see whether or not they side with the other black people or prefer to abandon their own and live the white life, so to speak. Black people who behave like that are still black, whether we like them or not. They are part of the total population of 1 billion, 8 million. This number is the total number of black people in all existence. This may sound strange if you consider the size of the universe as well as all universes that have ever existed, but this is the total number of gods. I'll explain this at another time. They are called the original people or first gods, as I've said before. Each god incarnates again and again endlessly. Me and you and every black person are their incarnations. They are called our first self. Every black person from the lowest pygmy or hottentot to the highest leader of the UN, including every Uncle Tom, is the incarnation of one of the gods. When a god incarnates in a new black life, the 24 elders keep a record of that birth and give that person his or her eternal name. Thus, every black person has an eternal name. When all the gods are incarnated, there will be an awakening wherein every black person will not only remember his or her eternal name, but the name of everyone else. We have incarnated time and again since forever and know each other closer than you know your own mother, child, brother, or sister today. Every black person has what is called the mind of God, which my people call ancestral memory. This mind of God or ancestral memory stretches all the way along your lineage of ancestors back to your first self as you were at the creation of our universe. This mind of God or ancestral memory is unconscious in us, except when it's awakened by initiation rituals. But it's totally and always conscious in the 24 elders. Therefore, they are the final arbiters and judges of who is or is not black for as long as we remain asleep under the hypnosis of whitey. When we awaken, then each one will know him or herself and all others as we've known each other since eternity. That is the only true way to determine the racial identity of all people on earth. Okay, but if that's the case, 
But what difference does it make whether or not I marry one of the non-black race males? If both my children are going to be called black, irregardless of the disdain I might have towards my own, what stops me from becoming, say, another Diana Ross or Condoleezza Rice? I mean, I could literally go ahead, marry and breathe with a white man believing for the better life through my chosen participation in a light supremacy system. And when the shift of power occurs from lighter to black, I could benefit from that too. I hate to be rambling here, but I hope you follow me. I'm not sure at this point I understand why people are being allowed to believe that they can walk the line inconsequentially if indeed we are to survive. Help me understand here, brother. Help me understand when you have time. There was something else I meant to ask you. Recently, I went to see a movie called What the Bleep Do We Know? produced by Europeans. It was philosophical in nature, and as usual, they were discussing issues that we've been knowing for eons. There was one thing in particular, however, that fascinated me. They showed the work of a Japanese scientist who'd researched the effects of the energy of certain words spoken and written and thoughts on the nature of water molecules. Positive phrases produced frozen water molecules that were beautiful and almost perfectly symmetrical. On the other hand, negative energy produced deformed molecules negative energy produced to form molecules. He related this to the fact that the human body is primarily composed of water. Someone told me that the same basic information showed up in the Matunatur, but I couldn't verify it because I had a difficult time getting through that book when I tried several years back. So since you've been so kind sharing your perspectives, I was hoping at some point you can tie this particular information in with yours. Peace again. On your question about the movie, the human mind is creative. It affects inanimate matter as well as life, animals and plants. As I explained in a previous post about the true law of evolution called the law of integrity, moral character creates beautiful forms and immoral character creates ugly forms. Starting next week, I'll discuss biology slash genetics and get into more detail about how the mind creates. To your first question, there is punishment for people who try to lighten the black nation. Nature has been reducing the sperm count of white men now for the last 100 years. The rate of reduction has increased over the past few years and will continue to increase until they can no longer procreate. That's why those who know are studying cloning. On the female side, the fertility of white women is decreasing at a rapid rate. They have to use more and more drugs to conceive. This is also true for light-skinned black men and women. The world is black by nature and will remain so forever. Any black person who, after being exposed to the facts, continues to try and lighten our people is sinning against God or the black nation. Nature has zero tolerance for stupidity. The consequence of such foolishness is extinction, or as said long ago, the wages of sin is death. On our part, we could do these brothers and sisters a big favor by exposing the truth as much as we can. Most of them are ignorant and only need to have their sense of pride built back up, pride in themselves and ancestors. If they consciously reject the truth, then they'll end up alongside the white race in the bottomless pit of hell called extinction. 
for there is no coming back. Their biological lineage will simply die out. He briefed us on the reasons that many traditional African people use scarification. Can you share anything about the significance of piercings? Can you share the background of clitorodectomies, etc., performed on many continental women, mostly against their will? Growth piercings fall in the same category of reasons as scarification. I'm referring to the growth piercings of lips and the insertion of large discs in them. Ear piercings done modestly are for beauty and have been done ever since very ancient days. Clitorodectomies are performed for the reason everyone probably already knows, i.e. to discourage young women from self-pleasure. Older women who were raised very strictly believe that such an activity is harmful to the uprightness of a young person's character. Boys are also discouraged from masturbation, although circumcision is performed primarily for hygienic reasons. The custom of performing clitorodectomies arose after the science of soulmates was lost because the two are related to each other, as well as to the scientific way of perfecting the character of a person. The science of character perfection and of soulmates go hand in hand. Next week or the week after, I'll begin to discuss biology slash genetics, and it'll become clear how the ancients raised people with absolutely perfect character in an infallible scientific and natural way. Sometime down the line, I'll also discuss the rituals that were performed to teach pubescent youth all about sex and procreation as part of the science of soulmates. You'll see how this is tied to the perfection of a character. All the lost sciences and customs will come back to use soon. It was because of their loss that young women have had to suffer the pains of forced mutilations, as well as other unsavory customs that arose in an effort to counter the evils heaped upon black people by the appearance of the non-black races. Wagwan. Typically it's yay yay. Coming from Hiran Naki. Elohim, the Archangel. However, today, we observing the holy month of Ramadan. And during Ramadan, one would like to say, Wagwan. Wagwan reflection. Namaste. Have an awesome day. success reflection and we deserve to share it with one another as well as keep our own personal private successes to ourselves hermetic teachings say the wise man keeps his heart full and his mouth silent Reflect with a higher mind, 
smile at self. For we deserve the best possible, exuberant, joyful feeling that this life has to offer. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Free. Free from greed. Laziness. Wrath. Envy. Pride. Gluttony and lust known as the seven deadly sins. In some ancient texts, especially the Bible, one of the most deadliest sins being pride. Oh yes. Pride can get you hurt. You ultimately end up hurting self. Sadness is also an evil thought because it is evil to live backwards. E-V-I-L-L-I-V-E. With that being said, happiness is the frequency of life. Sadness takes from positive energy for it is negative in origin. So reflection, Wagwan. And most would reply, ah, Nagwan. Meaning, what's going on? Oh, nothing going on. How we doing, family? Wagwan, Nagwan. Muslims 
as well as any other saints from any other religious sect can join in Ramadan by abstaining from eating any food, drinking any liquids, smoking, drinking, any fornication, or even meditation from sun up to sunset as a fast. And the belief is, whoever fasts Ramadan with good faith and expecting God's reward will have their past sins erased. Much beneficial to society. self-discipline there is no God but God and Muhammad is the messenger of God prayer fasting alms pilgrimage to Mecca one day. Believe. Worship. Fast. Almsgiving. Pilgrimage. This is the foundation. Go out there and own your success.